This is the Amazing Starts Here podcast. And this sweet melody is the sound of Madonna's Like a Prayer, one of the walk-up songs used by today's guest, 18-year-old Pete Crow Armstrong. Billy and I have the chance to chat today with the Mets' first-round draft selection from 2020 out of Harvard-Westlake High School in L.A. County, California. Pete, senior year, high school going great. 2020, COVID hits, pandemic, draft, Mets, instructs, COVID hits again. Now spring training is here. My first question is, do you even remember what it's like to play in a baseball game right now? No. <laughs> no, I don't. Um, it's been a whirlwind of the last, what is it now, like seven months around there. Um, yeah, I, I I, mean, we got to we got to go out to Florida in, in the fall and, and have a little instructs, but um, – you know, I'm still I'm still waiting for the uh, for the feeling of stepping onto you know a big league field for the first time, and uh, you know I'm I'm lucky enough that the Mets are bringing me along to to big league camp, and I get to experience some of that pretty soon here. Yeah, so you haven't seen probably you know live pitching in a while, or at least in a in a in a game setting, and now you're going to be thrown yeah. into big league camp, and your first potentially. Uh, pitcher that you're going to face is a guy like Jacob deGrom, who is potentially the best pitcher of, of this generation. So right into the fire, that seems like that's going to be quite a, quite a, a level for you. Well, he, he totally is the best pitcher of our generation. I mean, there's no question about that. And I saw, I saw Stroman's uh, little thing on Twitter yesterday. And I was like, that's the first time I've heard that. But why is that the first time I've heard that? Uh, Cause I mean, he's, he's dead on. Like I, I, you know, it's it's less about like who I'm facing for me, and and uh, I think it's more about who I get to be around and who I get to kind of uh, try and mimic and uh, just just watch guys. You know, this is a this is hopefully it's not a once in a lifetime opportunity because I want to be back here every spring, but this is a a huge huge opportunity for for somebody, especially uh, my age and and with the circumstances and everything right now. So uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a really uh, uh, interesting and, and fun time. So we'll see how it goes. You've been living with kind of a, a target on your back as a, as a first round guy for a while. So the, the confidence level of, like you said, not having played in a game in a while and going to a big league spring training. How are you feeling mentally with that? I'm super confident. I, uh, you know, I think instructs, uh, that instilled a lot of confidence in me too. Um, uh, you know, we, it was, it was kind of, um, you know, we, it, it just felt like we got there, you know, on the snap with the snap of a finger. So like it was, uh, there was, there was less time to think than I thought I'd, I'd have. And that ended up being a really good thing for me. Um, and I think that, you know, just getting the invite to, to big league camp alone, that also instills a lot of confidence in myself. So, you know, all the other stuff will take care of itself. I, I, I know the work, I know the preparation that I've been, uh, doing, I've been seeing enough live pitching, uh, you know, I've been seeing really good arms too. And I, I think that, um, like I said, whatever happens, happens, you know, the, the rest will kind of work itself out. And it, it shouldn't be, you know, walking into a completely blind situation. I've seen, you know, you've been working out with Dom Smith and, um, you know, I'm sure there's enough big league guys out where you are, where it's not going to be uh, completely surprised when you're walking into a, to a big league clubhouse for the first time. You're, you're right. I mean, I've been, I've been lucky enough to be put in, in some really good 
places, uh, especially during this pandemic. And uh, yeah, I've gotten to I've gotten to hit with Dom, and that was a that was a huge opportunity for me. Uh, like I said, it's it's less about like who I'm uh, with or who I'm facing, but who I get to kind of watch and, and listen to. So, uh, like I said, like the the work that I've been doing, the preparation, the people I've been facing, and and who I've been getting to watch and listen to, like that'll all kind of hopefully set things into place for me in, in spring training. The culture that you come from, we hear on the outside, hey, went to Harvard-Westlake High School, all these other big guys came out of that school. But what is it really like, the culture of where you come from in that baseball world? Uh, Harvard-Westlake is a – it's a crazy school, like in, in, in general. Uh, you know, I wouldn't even say that that – you know, one sport is the the most popular one, like a lot of schools where it's football or, or basketball or baseball. I think that, you know, it was it was cool for me to be around a lot of really good athletes around the school that weren't just, just baseball players. And um, we had our own little community um, just with that. But then the baseball program is a different story. And I, I really think that, you know, as a high schooler, that's the best it can get for you. And – I mean, from from our alumni, uh, obviously the the notable ones, Jack, Max, Lucas, uh, to our coaches and our trainers. It's, I mean, it, it doesn't get better than that, and it definitely is a is a culture for sure. I mean, we've we've built a really, or you know, Coach Halpert and or, or Jared Halpert and and Matt Lacour and and uh, Sean Court, who's no longer there, but. Joe Guns, like all those coaches have built such a, um, you know, well-run, um, well-oiled machine that is the Harbor Westlake baseball program. And, uh, you know, the fact that I got filtered through there, that that definitely uh, helped me get to where I'm at today. So from, from, from my perspective, I think, you know, you mentioned um, earlier talking about Marcus Stroman and seeing him on, on social talk about Jacob deGrom. So the thing that I've, I've enjoyed the most um, having not been able to see you play on the field yet, um, I feel like I've gotten to know you a little bit through your your use of social media and um, just sort of not just being um, a baseball player, you know, being someone who's comfortable uh, speaking out on other issues and being sort of a modern athlete. Uh, and you you mentioned Marcus as someone that you you follow as well, so I I, I sort of see the parallel there. But it, it, it's been cool to me to see, you know, someone who's your age and, uh, you know, probably just voted in your first presidential election, um, being as opinionated and outspoken on, on social issues and things like that. So, uh, I'm just curious, you know, where you think your role is, you know, obviously you're, you're just starting off here as a professional athlete, but where you see your role going forward as someone who can sort of be a leader on the field, obviously, but also in the community and, and vocal about issues that matter. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I'm just like everybody else that wants to speak up about this stuff. You know, I think, um, athletes have a, a special platform and celebrities and, and whoever you may be. Um, if you're in some sort of spotlight, then you have a very, you know, important platform to use. And I think that's the one thing that sets us apart. You know, the, those of us who, uh, choose to become involved in, in, you know, these issues and, um, I, I, like we all want, we all want the same thing as, as your, your, you know, a, average everyday person that's, you know, 
standing up for social justice and, you know, whatever it may be. Um, but what's really cool for me is, you know, having people in my organization that also want to speak up and, uh, it makes things easier. Cause you know, I, I, I'm confident in saying that I'd still be speaking up about this if I didn't have, you know, a, a Twitter following or an Instagram following, but, um, having people that you, like, you know, support you in an, in an issue like this definitely makes it, uh, easier to, to speak up. And that's not necessarily a, a great thing, but that kind of ties into what I'm, you know, I took too long to really start speaking up because I was worried about saying the wrong thing. Um, I was worried about, you know, my draft stock and, and stuff like that. And that's the sad truth. Like, um, you know, but what I'm lucky for and fortunate to, you know, have happened was I got drafted and, um, you know, for some reason that made me feel like I could speak my mind a little bit more, but I think that's one thing that I try and tell, you know, my friends or my family or like younger people is like at the end of the day, it shouldn't take you as long as it took, took me, uh, to start speaking up. If you really, if you really care about uh, a situation. So, yeah, you talked about uh, Jack Flaherty who went to Harvard Westlake as you did. He's become really outspoken now that he's finally gotten to the majors and become a little bit of a household name in the game. You mentioned taking a little while to get there. Are guys like Jack or Marcus speaking up and speaking out, you know, before you making it easier for you and for other people, other athletes to feel comfortable sharing their opinion? Yeah, it's definitely guys like that leading the way, but also, um, you know, I got to hear Lucas Giolito talk about how, you know, he learned to start asking the right questions and stuff like that. And that was way more important for me because my biggest fear was, you know, saying the wrong thing or not being as informed as I should. And so, um, you know, really taking the time to start reading everything I see on Twitter uh, that interests me and uh, doing extra stuff to follow up on, you know, CNN notifications I'm getting or something like that. Like that's what made it easier for me, but it, it really made it like, it made it more of a must for me to do just cause I felt strongly about the situation. I was like, it's, it's time for me to start doing something. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's guys like Jack Stroman, Dom, Dom, especially like the vulnerability I saw, you know, him show um, in that press conference last year, like that, that was I mean, if you weren't inspired by that, then I don't, I don't know what should inspire you. So. Yeah. I sort of wanted to circle back on that Dom thing there with, you know, for, for myself, I have, you know, three kids that are under the age of six. And during the summer I had situations where they're seeing everything that's on the news and, you know, they know what's going on. Um, and for, as a parent, it was very easy for me to finally explain it on a kid's level when you see Dom um, being emotional and saying, you know, what he feels and how um, how he had all this pressure and and felt like it was building up inside of him and then he, he was finally able to let it go and getting the support uh, and it was as a parent it was easy for me to say to my kids like look look at how upset he is and you should never make somebody feel that way so it was on a very basic level that was an easy thing for me to do but you know you had someone who was probably just drafted by the Mets at that time and someone who was new to the organization to see Dom and the way he was accepted um, by everybody, um, you know, just embraced and became sort of the, the face of baseball through this whole, 
um, social justice battle here. Um, what did that sort of give you in terms of an outlook into this organization that you're going to be a part of and, and hopefully a huge part of going forward? Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about how it made me feel about the organization that I was, you know, stepping into, then it made me feel great, obviously. Um, and it made me feel proud to, you know, be in the same organization as him. But like you were saying about your kids, that that press conference, like the raw emotion that he showed, like that that reaches people on so many levels, whether it's your you know, six-year-old kids or, or myself or, or whoever else. And, uh, yeah, it, it, I was, I was, I was super happy to see somebody do that. Uh, it didn't even need to be done, but it was refreshing, especially in a sport, you know, where we probably don't speak on the social justice matters as much as a sport like basketball or, um, or even even football sometimes, and I think that was like a, it was. I, I hope it was a wake up call for people because it was uh, it was a super special moment. No, I think for for so for so long we've sort of been looking at athletes as like the the shut up and dribble generation. Um, you know, you guys like Jordan, and then from there going forward, where they were really afraid to speak out on stuff. Uh, and I think you know you're out you're out in L.A. or in the L.A. area, so you have you know obviously see LeBron and what he does um, and how he's not afraid to, to stand up. So I think, um, you know, guys like that and you see a guy like yourself, you see a guy like LeBron, who's, you know, the, probably the, the most famous American athlete uh, standing up for something like that. I think that sort of gives your generation and gives me hope, I guess, for the generations going forward that it's not going to be shut up and dribble. And you know, that, that platform is going to be something that is more than just, you know, can this guy hit and run or can this guy strike somebody out? So it's, it's really cool for me to see that. Yeah, I agree. I think we're, we're still pretty far away from, you know, ending the, the shut up and dribble stigma uh, just because there's still so many people who, who think that way. And you see it. I mean, like if, if, I'll look in the comments on somebody's post on Twitter and it's just, you know, flooded with a, a mix of stuff. There's, and what I found on, on tweets of mine was there's a lot of people who also support like this cause and um, it's overwhelming, but also there's still those, those who, who don't and, you know, who aren't in my opinion, in the right mindset. Um, so it, it's, it, you know, it, it takes, it takes more LeBrons and it takes more, uh, Jackson and Tim Andersons and, uh, you know, uh, the Braden Bishop, like he's very vocal on Twitter. I love, I love looking at his tweets. Like it just takes, it takes more guys like that. It takes more guys like Lucas to be like, yo, I was asking the wrong questions. And, um, you know, being, uh, being human enough to be like, here, here's what I need to do. And, and how can I, um, how can I help? How can, you know, how can I learn? So, so how thrilled were you to, to see Dom and then meet Dom and now work with Dom and know Dom a little bit? What, what is, what is that relationship like at this point? Um, I'm, he's a, he's a really good dude. And he was, uh, one of the people that, that reached out to me on, on draft day. And, um, we've kind of talked here and there 
uh, we talked during the season a little bit, and then we've been talking during the off season, and um, it was cool. I, he uh, he's obviously a very busy guy, and uh, I, I loved getting to see him work. Like it was it was cool because I he um, shoot I, I I don't even know what I was doing that day. I think it was my off day or something like that, and I just got a text from him at like ten, being like, "Yo, do you want to come meet me at uh, at the field and come hit?" And I I said, "Of course," and uh, so yeah, it's, a, I, I, I hope to build a, a stronger relationship with him for sure. But, um, you know, where we're at, where, where I'm at right now in, in my career and, um, the people that I've gone to work out with, I think that's, that's, it's, it's pretty cool for me. I feel like I'm a little ahead of the game, you know? So we, we talked a little bit about your influences, you know, off the field and, and guys that you have sort of emulated and, and look up to or follow along with, uh, in terms of their, their social presence. But uh, so you grew up a, a Cubs fan, right? By, by association, I guess, through your, your dad. And uh, Javi Baez was your dude? Oh, yeah. When he came onto the scene, he was so fun. And he still is. But um, that was definitely, like, my favorite Cub to watch uh, when he first came into the big leagues. And um, he's just a – yeah, he's, he's one of those kind of new – I feel like – I feel like it's a new style of player, you know, that we haven't seen for ever or, or for a long time. And uh, he's kind of the, the energy that I want to emulate. And, you know, I wouldn't call him a defense first guy, but he's obviously uh, pretty close to mastering, you know, his uh, defensive skill set. And that's, a, again, that's something that I can definitely get behind. So, yeah, Javi Baez was my my dude when when he first came up for sure. But where does Madonna stand for you? I mean, <laughs> to be honest, I really I I know like two or three Madonna songs, and that's just one of them. So she, I don't think she's she's close. Uh, <laughs> I, I have some I have some better off the field influences, I think, than than Madonna, but. Uh, so I just got a few qu- quick things here. Where I'm just going to run through some general questions. I guess we're, part of what we're doing here is trying to let Mets fans and uh, fans of the organization sort of see the, who the, these players are and get to see their personalities, not just you know the back of their baseball card. So um, I'm going to run through a f- few quick questions here and, and see see if you can uh, rattle off and, and let us see a little bit of your personality here. So right. what was the? Do you remember the first baseball game you went to and? Uh, or what, what is the earliest baseball memory you have? Oh, man. Uh, I actually – I have this this uh, one uh, clip in my mind, or it's, it's a memory, but it's a piece of a memory. Uh, it's we – were, we were riding um, – I think we rode the subway to a Cubs game. I was incredibly young. Like, I literally just have the, the uh, image of, of me coming out of the, ton, uh, of the tunnel into the – into the street or the station or whatever. I don't, I don't really remember, but that was, I think my earliest baseball memory probably. Yeah. I was talking about this with somebody the other day. My, the first game I went to, I was four years old in 1987. Cause I'm incredibly old. Um, and this guy, Dion James hit a fly ball and it killed a bird <laughs> and the bird landed in, in shallow left field at Shea stadium. And Rafael Santana who was the shortstop went and picked it up and I could not stop crying. So I made my dad leave in like the second inning of the game because oh. I was so, so distraught from this. So um, 
do you remember the first time you were asked to sign an autograph? Uh, yeah, it was, um, actually, no, I don't, uh, <laughs> but I, 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 I assume it was around like 14 cause we do, uh, you know, the, the USA baseball and TDPs and stuff. And there's a lot of guys that come down with, with cards to sign. And so I remember my friends and, and myself, um, signing some cards at some point when we were like 14. Yeah, I went. I went to the Little League World Series a few years ago when the Mets played in that um, the Little League Classic oh, in Williamsport. Yeah. And uh, when I was walking around Williamsport, is my first time that I'd been there. There were all these grown men asking these twelve-year-old kids for autographs, and it was such a weird thing. Yeah. But then you see these kids sign, and it's like they're just learning cursive, so it looks <laughs> like exactly like you've seen it. Yeah. So it's it's a weird dynamic, I think, for sure. No, straight up, I yeah, the evolution of my cursive has. <laughs> it's been funny to see, for sure. Uh, and then one more thing for me, I guess, was so obviously you, your first round talent, um, you get selected by the Mets in the first round. At what point in your life did you sort of realize, like, hey, I'm probably better than most of these guys, and this could be something that I might be able to do um, as a job down the road? Uh, was there like a game or a moment where, I mean, you know, there's the the play that we all see of you jumping over the wall, playing for Team USA and making those catches, or was there something in high school or or, or Little League where you were like, all right, so this might be a, a little bit more than just a hobby for me? Uh, I would say it was um, the summer going into my junior year. Yeah, it was summer going into my junior year. I... You know, I, I, it was the best baseball I'd played up to that point. And, um, I made the, the 18 and under team in that, in that fall of my junior year. And, uh, I think that was kind of was, it was, that was the moment that, that where I told myself, like, I can, I, I can play with, uh, older guys and that big talent in high school. And, uh, so that, that, that just instilled a lot of confidence in me, um, moving forward in the last two years of my high school career. I think uh, I love, I loved baseball all the way up until that point, but I was like, you know what, maybe I can really do something with this uh, as I got later in high school, I think. So, and then just my, my last thing, I guess it's just the whole draft process with last year. So you, you don't really get to play after I'm guessing February or March. It's March um, and early March. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so they're early March, and you know Mets scouts aren't traveling places, and it's uh, probably a different uh, experience for you than for most. So, um, what was that that like? Not being able to play in front of scouts and not being to have as much contact, face to face contact. Did you have an idea that the Mets is where you were going to end up going? Um, what was that whole sort of process like? Considering you weren't able to really do anything. Yeah, uh, where. I mean, being from California, I'm lucky because I get to start playing in September, October. So we, I mean, we got in at least 30 games before we got shut down from September to March. Um, and there was there were there were enough scouts uh, at those games, and you know, up until the last one, there were scouts. So I mean, we're I'm also from a really good baseball area, and you know, there was a couple other teammates of mine uh, being looked at and guys that we were playing. So uh, there was no doubt that there were going to be scouts even right before we got put on lockdown. But uh, 
Um, that was that. And then draft wise, I had no clue who was going to take me. I really didn't like, I, I kind of just went into that day being like, I've, you know, watched this on TV for however many years. And I, I don't want to put too much stress on myself on the day or on my parents or anybody. So I just woke up and I, I let that day be, you know, a normal day. I got up and worked out and, and then the draft happened. So I, I had no clue going into it what was going to happen. Did you eat anything that day? I mean, I know guys pretend that they try to go through their routine, yeah. but could you even stomach any food? <laughs> yeah, early in the day, like after I worked <laughs> out and stuff, I could I could shove some food down my throat. But uh, to be honest, like it was a very like brisk day. The, the, the actual part or the once the draft started and up until I got picked, that felt long. But um, – it was a really good day. It was like a, I mean, I remember there was just nice weather out and, you know, it was the one time that my parents were like, yeah, you can, you can see your buddies and stuff. Cause it was early, early COVID. So um, that was like my one day, you know, where I got to just kind of be in the day without any stress. So. And now headed to his first big league spring training, Pete Crow Armstrong, Mets 2020 first round pick. Hopefully uh, we'll see your assignment for 2021 very soon, but good luck, my friend. Enjoy your first uh, spring training. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much for having me. I enjoyed this. Thanks, guys.